All right, First Chronicles chapter 17. All right, so tonight we're going to look at David, who, who loved God very much, loved him with his whole heart. And we're going to see God actually pour his love out on his servant David tonight. As, uh, David's, David has such a zeal and such a, a want to build a place for God, a dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's dwelling with his people. That even in the beginning when we go to read it, it he doesn't even inquire the Lord if the Lord even wants a dwelling place. Uh, for him, but he's, he's so full of zeal and so full of love for the Lord, and he just wants to do so much for him. And we'll see uh, that here. Then we're going to see the great promise of how God, you want to build me a house? Well, guess what, David? I want to build a house for you. And how he just blesses David so much in this uh, passage as we're going to get into it. So the ark finally comes to the J- Jerusalem. It's sitting in the tent that David built for it. And as we open up in verse 1, we're going to see David talk about that tent in his own dwelling. It says, Now it came to pass, when David was dwelling in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. Then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. So David's noticing that his house seems to be better than where the Lord is dwelling in a tent, in the Ark of the Covenant, in a tent. And he's wanting to build God a grand and wonderful place. And I think all of us probably have these desires that we just want to do so much for the Lord. I just want to, I just want to do what the Lord wants me to do, and I just want to go above and beyond that. And we see David warning these same things here. And David looks at the Ark of the Covenant more than just a religious symbol. He sees it as the dwelling place of God, where, where people can come and dwell and be with God. It's the actual presence of God, rather than just some symbol of who God is. So God's having this deal for him. And I think David's priorities are in a good place. He's wanting to do so much for the Lord. And I think we should have this passion and this zeal for the Lord like David did. He wanted to make a grand house for him but he can dwell and he can be known by other nations and they would all want to come here to worship. And we'll see when we get to Solomon that that did come to pass, but David's wanting to do this. And we know David cannot get this house built. He even said in his word that David wouldn't do it because he was a man of war and this house wouldn't get built. And we see Nathan urging him on. Hey, Nathan says, do all that is in your heart for God is with you. And this is all before inquiring what God wants. We, they forgot to ask him if he wanted a house. So Nathan's even thinking, well, it can't be anything wrong with, with David wanting to ask and wanting to build a place for the Lord. That seems like a noble and honorable thing. And so even Nathan is going along with that, telling them that, uh, that God is with you and let's do it. But we're going to find out in a minute that's not exactly what God wanted. So Nathan actually got this wrong. He's speaking without inquiring of the Lord. He's speaking as more of just an advisor right now. And we've got to remember that God's, God's ways are not man's ways. His ways are much higher than us. We, we can't even, with our minds, even imagine the ways of God. He's given us a glimpse in his word on what, how, how his ways are. But there's so much more to God's ways. So we're thinking, David's thinking that this was a great idea, but it was not necessarily a good idea 
to God. This is not what he was asking for. And in verse 3 it says, But it happened that night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, You shall not build me a house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought up Israel. Even to this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wherever I have moved about with all of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? So here we see, as soon as this conversation between David and Nathan is taking place, they go to sleep that night and Nathan gets a word from God. He's a prophet of God. The Lord's going to speak to him to speak to David. And, and the word of the Lord comes to him. I think it is, uh, and, and G. Campbell Morgan said, it is the utmost importance that we should ever test our desires. It says, even the highest and holiest of them, by his will, work excellent in itself should never be undertaken, save at the expense, express command of God. The passing of time will always vindicate the wisdom of the divine will. We should always seek God in whatever work we decide to put our hands to. Seek the Lord to see if it is his will. Or are we doing something that may seem very innocent, may not be in the will of God. And we see David wanting to build a temple, a house for God. And that seems very innocent, very noble, but it is not what the Lord wanted. David didn't seek him first in this. He just jumped on the desire he had. And we see here that we should seek the Lord first in whatever we put our hands to do. Let's remember that. And you know what? I bet God probably seemed honored that he wanted to do this. He was very gracious about it, too, saying, hey, I know you have a heart for this, but the answer is going to be no. He says, you wanted me to build a house. No one has ever offered to build me one before. Nor do I want one right now. And I think, too, this is, is a wonderful place to be in a relationship with God where David wanted to go out and do more than even God commanded. Because I think too often people want to do less than what God is asking us to do. You know, let me do just enough to please God. David didn't want that. He wanted more. And, and, and we see him wanting to build this house. And later we will see that the Lord did accept in building this house of the Lord, the temple. Because I think he knew it was such a desire of David, he wanted to give him that. But this was not the type of house and this was not the type of dwelling that God was looking for. From David or Solomon or the rest of David's ancestors to come. In verse 7 it says, Now therefore... Thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the shepherd, uh, sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all the enemies from before you, and have made you a name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and I will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. 
nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, also I will subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. David, you don't have to build me a house. I'm going to build you one. So now God tells Nathan to say to David that it was he who had taken David from following the sheep, from being a shepherd boy to being the shepherd over Israel. Talk about a rags to riches uh, story right here and what he did. I think we can all look at this and think about our own lives, how God took us up out the mud and brought us from a place of sin and, and, and dirt and evil and brought us up to salvation and brought us through. And one day we're going to we're going to reign with him. So in, in a similar way, our story matches what David is being done here in the physical sense that he took him from a shepherd boy to a king. And we were taken from sinful people in the mud to we're going to be kings and priests as well. And I love God for that, that he just took us from where we were at and has built us up. Now, God turns to the, to the future here, and he declares also what he intends to do. He said, David may be on his way to greatness, but it is God who, who made him supreme. And we've got to remember, no matter how far we arrive in life, it's not our own doing, it's God's doing. God is the one who gets us and gives us a, a place in front. God is the one who places us on the mantle of wherever we are at, whatever high peak we reach in life. It is God who does it. We don't do it on our own. And God promises that he will build him a house in the sense of establishing him a dynasty. Now, you've got to think, David is the second king of Israel. The first king failed and was not honored by God. So this is something maybe David's not quite understanding, that his, his lineage is going to continue on after him from Solomon and on to the other kings, that God is going to build his dynasty through that. And we got to think about our relationship with God is always based upon what he has done, just like he's going to do this great thing for David. And just like anything that we do, it is ba- our relationship is based on what he has done, not what we do for him, but what he has done for us. And he's going to build a great Great dynasty for David. We'll see in a minute. In verse 11, it says, And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall, be, he shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father And he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from who was before you. He's talking about Saul. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. God promised to David after his death that he was going to set up his seed to reign forevermore. And that from his seed or his sons, it didn't say from his son, but from his sons, 
that a king that would rule forever was going to come. And we all know that that future son was going to be Jesus Christ, who's, who rules now and will rule forever. So we see him pointing them to that. The thought of a, of a dynasty that will find fulfillment in the final king, Jesus. I mean, I don't know if David can actually grasp what God was telling him right here. And you think about the, the author of this book had to have some kind of faith looking at this because he's talking hundreds of years uh, since, the, since they were in exile in Babylon and they're coming out of Babylon. This book is for those who are coming out of Babylon talking about this King David and how his dynasty is going to reign forever. And they've just spent X amount of years in captivity and they don't really have a king at this moment ruling over them in Israel. So how can David's seed reign forever? I think the spirit of God was talking to this author, showing them that the seed of David was going to reign forever and giving them that faith to be able to write these things down in such a manner. It says, David's son's uh, seed will build God's house, a house far better than the house of cedar. And this passage is not talking about a house like a temple like David was thinking. We're thinking about a, a house that's going to last forever, a people that will last forever, and a king that will reign forever. So this whole passage is not talking about the temple of God, but actually talking about that kingdom of God and that reign that Jesus is going to have with his people. And indeed, God now promises that the relationship between him and the son of David's sons will be that of a father and a son. In Psalms 2, uh, verse 7, it says, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about, hey, you're going to be my son. I'm going to be your father. And his further promise is that he will not take his covenant love away from his son as he did Saul. Whatever the son does, God will be faithful to him. Under that covenant, that covenant, that that new covenant of what Christ did on the cross for us. He was he was faithful to him to deliver him to death, but also to raise him back again. And he's keeping that faithfulness to him. God then assures David that his son will be settled in the house and in his kingdom forever. This clearly, like I said earlier, is not talking about the temple. It's talking about the house of Christ and what he is being built. And through all the kings who followed Solomon, they would regularly thought of in terms of David. They would always talk, go, refer back to David. Remember going through the book of First and Second Kings, they would always refer to the kings in Judah, how they were either not like David or they were like David. And David was that standard that all these kings of Israel were measured by. And the author, we said just now, his, his faith had to be set in, knowing that this is talking about his son, Reigning forever was for a future date. And we read a couple things about this. In Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute righteousness in the earth. Now this is his name by which he will be called. The Lord our Righteousness. In Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, upon the throne of David, and over his kingdom 
to order it and establish it from that time forward and forever. And even in Luke 1, 31 through 33, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over his house, the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Continue is talking about the lineage of David and what God is doing, building him a house bigger and grander than David could have built. There's no temple, no, no structure on this earth can compare to what God can build. And we're seeing him bless David with this. David was thrilled because God had guaranteed the, construct, uh, the continuation of a dynasty, continuation of his seed, and he was thrilled about it. I still don't think David quite understood the impact of what God was saying here, and we probably don't quite understand it as well, even though we have it written for us right here in front of us. There's a lot to grasp on this. But then we see David go and sit before the Lord in verse 16. It says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O God, O Lord God? And and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have regarded me according to the rank of men of high degree, O Lord God. What more can David say to you for the honor of your servant? For you know your servant. O Lord, you are servants, uh, for your servant's sake, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem, for himself as a people, to make for yourself a name by great and awesome deeds, by driving our nations from before, uh, driving out nations from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. For you have made your people Israel, you uh, your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. He went in and sat before the Lord. He could have stomped out and been upset because God didn't want to let him build the temple. And I think sometimes many of us, we get upset when God says no too. Just like our children sometimes when we tell them no because we know better than them, they might want to stomp out on us too. I've had to deal with my two daughters on that sometimes. But you know what? David didn't stomp out, and he could have. But he understood where his strength came from. He understood where his blessings came from. And he's understanding the promise that God has given him right now. So there was no other place to go. Let's sit and listen to what God has to say. Let's sit in his presence. And that's what David is doing here, sitting with God. And here it is, David is admitting that he is unworthy or even shouldn't have any kind of privilege from God at all, that he is, he is nothing. Who am I? And we've all said that, I'm pretty sure, in our life. Who are we to even be thought of by God, the creator of this universe? To, to even partake in his 
glory and his salvation that he's brought to us. Who are we? We're a speck of dust in, in this universe. But he still chose to come down and fellowship with us. Even though we are not worthy of it at all. He's chosen to do that. And David is, is, is saying that. Who am I? I am worthless in your sight, but yet you still choose me to lead your people Israel. You still choose me to, to lift me up like the people who are great on this earth and, and make a name for yourself through me and your people. Why? Why does he want to use Brandon to, to be a witness to people out there? Why? I will never know. Maybe he'll tell me when I get to heaven. I don't know. But for the life of me, I don't know why he wants to use me. But thank you. Thank you for using me. And David is saying here that he is unworthy and, 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 and it should have no privilege at all from God. But yet God is wanting to bless them. And he's recognized there are benefits from this. Because the Lord is with you. The Lord does cast out your enemies like he did for the nation of Israel. And we see this here with David. So God has been good to his servant and has done it out of the love that he has for him. We just can't, we just don't understand the love that God has for us. We only use, what, maybe 10% of our brain. Maybe some of us use less. We can't even understand the love that God has for us at all. There's things that God has done in my life that I, I have no earthly idea why he did it the way he did. I'm happy he did, but I have no earthly idea why. And I say earthly idea because in heaven he knows why. And maybe one day he'll show us, but thank you. So David now stresses the uniqueness of God, that he is the God. He is the God of Israel. And we're going to talk about Israel here. It says, nor is there any nation like Israel. Let's think about Israel. They are very small. The, the nation of Israel right now is the size of New Jersey. But that's the apple of God's eye. That's the center of the world right now. And God loves them, this, this, this group that came from uh, Abraham and moved on to Jacob and to all these patriarchs and to see all the struggles they had and how they would rebel against God, but yet God still loved them. And God's still not done with them right now. But we need to love the nation of Israel because guess what? Our Savior came through the nation of Israel. Our Savior came from that group of rebellious individuals that we read about in our scripture we have here before us today. And God has made them a witness to the entire world right now. Because guess what? All eyes are on them right now. And has been for years. So God uses people you may not even consider using to get the world's attention. And he uses us to get the world around us, to get their attention as well. In verse 23... It says, and now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, let it be established forever and do as you have said. So let it be established that your name may be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel is Israel's God. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O my God have revealed to your, uh, your servant that you will build him a house. Therefore, your servant, servant has found in his heart to pray before you. And now, Lord, you are God and have promised this goodness to your servant. 
Now you have been pleased and blessed and blessed the house of your servant that it may continue before you forever. For you have blessed it, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. So we see David humbly prays to God that he will do what he has promised, that he will make that dynasty through David and his sons and his lineage, and it will ultimately lead to Jesus Christ, the king that will last and reign forever. And he asked God, spoke to him concerning him, saying, Lord, please do what you promised. Do what you promised, and I'm going to pray to you because you promised this. David was so focused on the promise, I think he forgot about God saying no to him about the temple because God had just made a great promise to him. And I think we need to focus on the promises of God. This book is full of them. And just because he promised them doesn't mean we're all going to reap the benefits of it because we have to know that he promises to us. And we need to go after those promises of God and and stick with them. F.B. Meyer said, There is hardly any position more utterly beautiful, strong, or safe than to put the finger upon some promise of the divine word and claim it. It is far better to claim a few things specifically than uh, score vaguely. And we look at some of the things that God has promised us. He's promised us in 1 John 1 through 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants to forgive us our sins. He promises to forgive us our sins. All we have to do is ask. In John fourteen twenty seven, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let, your, let it be afraid. He's promising us peace. So that means we're going to have peace all the time on the outside, physical, physically? No, but we're going to have that peace inside that, that's just beyond understanding. I'm sure we have all been through times in our lives where we've had trials and tribulations and just for some reason there's a peace that comes over us and we can just sit still and know that God is still in charge of whatever is going on. Whether it's a death or illness or what have you, God is still in charge and he gives you that peace. He says also in Psalms 32, 8, it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. He wants to guide you and lead you in the way. It's a promise. He says, I'm, I'm going to guide you. I promise you, I will guide you. If you let me guide you, I will guide you where you need to go. Quit being stubborn. Quit being rebellious. Listen to me, and I will guide you where you need to go. He promises that. Philippians 1.6, he says, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's working in us. And it's a lifelong body of work in us and he's going to complete it he says that he promises he's going to complete it until jesus christ comes back i wish you would hurry up and come back come on lord then it says in hebrews four sixteen, it says let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need we can go to the lord we can go to the throne room of god and speak to him and lay our burdens on him and receive mercy and grace from him. We don't have to do it alone. He doesn't want us to do it alone. We can't do it alone. 
so we can enter that courtroom before God on his throne and receive that mercy and grace every day. And these are promises we can hang our hat on. They're guaranteed. He doesn't waver. He doesn't make a promise and takes it back. He has it sitting there for us, ready to receive it. We just have to receive that promise from him. And David is praying this. His, his aim is not selfish in this prayer at all. His whole purpose was that God's name be established and magnified forever. Then when men seen David and men seen Israel, they thought about Jehovah. So when men see us, let them see Jesus. With or without our words, let them see Jesus. And David was wanting God to be magnified and, and have him to be the one that would get the praise. And with his final affirmation, David knows that God has been pleased to bless the dynasty of his servant. And that therefore his dynasty will continue forever before him. For this he knows that because God has blessed it and it will be blessed forever. And this was David's foundation of his faith. He, he hung on and believed in the promises of God. They're true. Today, they're true when David was there, and they're going to be true in the future. God's word does not change. It's the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. He's going to be the same God, and his promises are till the end. Amen? All right. Father, we thank you for this word tonight. We thank you for the promises that you've given David here, which is also a promise of salvation for us, for those who have chosen Christ to be their Savior. We just uh, want to hang on to your promises, Lord, because that's what we got. We got your promises, Lord. And may we, may we hold on to those promises and walk in those promises, Lord, and that our faith will be strengthened in you through it, Father. We ask for those here tonight, we ask for a blessing over them, Lord. I pray that each and every one would walk in the promises that you've given them in your word, Father. And uh, we ask for your traveling mercies tonight, Lord, as we go home with the rains. So we keep each one of us safe, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.